Funding for the Hinckley Report is made possible in part by the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation and the Cleone Peterson Eccles Endowment Fund. Thank you for listening to the Hinckley Report as a podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe at your go-to podcast platform. Promotional support for this episode of the Hinckley Report podcast is provided by Trib Talk, an award-winning news podcast from the Salt Lake Tribune. Join host Benjamin Wood, Tribune reporters, and community guests as they dive into the latest topics affecting Utahns. Find Trib Talk at sltrib.com or by searching for Trib Talk on most major podcast platforms. Tonight on the Hinckley Report. President Trump is under fire and Utah's congressional leaders respond to the call for an investigation and potential impeachment. As the Salt Lake City mayoral race heats up, candidates discuss controversial issues and accusations. And after a historic number of initiatives in last year's election, citizen groups take up new causes. Good evening, and welcome to The Hinckley Report. I'm Jason Perry, director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Covering the week, we have Todd Weiler, Utah State Senator, Mara Carabello, president of the Exoro Group, and Matt Canham, senior managing editor of the Salt Lake Tribune. Thank you so much for being with us. We're gonna jump into the topic that everyone's talking about. Uh, maybe not everyone, but a lot of us. Impeachment. Uh, this week, uh, Nancy Pelosi said that the House is going to launch a formal inquiry into the president, largely about this call to the president of Ukraine. Mara, I want to I start with you for just a moment on this issue. So uh, what is the purpose of this tool? I mean, an, imp an impeachment tool, and is that what we are kind of getting from it. Uh, is it uh, is it just politics or is this something bigger? So you hit on, I think, the two things it is that merge and, and conflate, which is, and I would say that as we've watched this unfold, we need to think of it from my point of view in two veins. One is a process that uh, it can be exercised, should be exercised, and what are the components that warrant that? And the other is the politic around the process. And, and for those leaders who are speaking only to the politic, I would be wary of them because that is just the gamesmanship. For those who are saying, let me see the, the data, let me see uh, what's going on. And the other thing we've lost track of already on day four is what was called for was a process. So we're already really being colloquial about, are we going to impeach, are we not going to impeach? That is an irresponsible statement right now. What we called for is the process of investigating and making well, decisions. Well, that's not what uh, AOC called for. She's condemning her House Democratic colleagues for not impeaching yesterday. And she's speaking to the politic. And so yeah. those who are speaking to the politic should be listened to that way. I think there's an absolute legitimate concern about the process. and. If for those who believe that the process will exonerate and for those that believe the, the process, process will is indict. because they've already decided to impeach and they've just been waiting for a year for a reason. The royal and pronoun, Mueller, though, Mueller is didn't a politic. A and I don't the, think this the is going to they and the boogeyman and the bad is not measured, it's not data, and it's not basis. But it's a tainted process. So let's talk about what the process is, because I think people get confused about this. Sometimes when people hear impeachment, what they think is removing the president from office. Yeah, they're different. Right. 
And it is a little bit more um, involved than that. And I think that because it's so rare, we're not as open about what this is. Impeachment is essentially bringing charges. An indictment. Right, that that's what the House of Representatives does. They act as the prosecutor. They bring the charges, the articles of impeachment. Senator, what you said is that the House has already decided to impeach. I actually think there's some truth to that. I don't think that Nancy Pelosi starts an inquiry with no actual belief that she's going to have a vote and actually get those articles of impeachment. I think she caved. She caved to the liberal wing of her party. Or she thought what happened was bad enough worthy of a process. At which point, it then goes to the Senate. The Senate acts as the jurors, and there's a trial in the Senate. That's where the president gets removed. Bill Clinton was impeached. He wasn't removed from office. So this is a process that will last months going forward. And there's also been a question, and I speak to this because one of our members of our delegation spoke to this about did it warrant it? Right. Are we are we at a place where we should exercise this? And many people are speaking to is, is this overturning the will of the people? And I think what's really important to understand about that is that we're a representational democracy, and the will of the people, one of the most special things about the flawed American democratic system is that by design, the balance is that we get to hold you accountable at all times while you are representing us. And so I think saying we don't have to hold you accountable once you're here or once you're here or once you're here, elected officials can be held accountable to the will of the people at any moment. And right now the impeachment process uses your representatives to hold this person accountable. But for those who say we shouldn't enter into this because it's somehow attached to negating the will, that's not American democracy. American democracy holds elected officials accountable throughout which is why there are checks and balances in the three governmental systems and why there are systems like impeachment and censure along the way. Nancy Pelosi should go back and listen to her own speech from the day that Bill Clinton was impeached. And she said that the, the Republicans were acting out of hatred for the president and that there wasn't a, I mean, everything that she said 20 years ago, uh, she should have listened to her own advice this week because she did exactly the opposite of what she what she said 20 years ago, and of course she's on the opposite side now. Well, uh, talk about the timing for a minute, Senator, because some say that this was a little bit early uh, for her well, to do I, this. Yeah, and I think, so she came to the liberal wing of her party, but absolutely, these are serious charges. Um, what Trump, the transcript shows that I think Trump was acting unethically, um, and I think it absolutely should be investigated by Congress, but, but the Democrats, the majority of the House Democrats decided a year or two ago that they were going to impeach Trump, and they've just been waiting for reason. I think that they jumped in this boat a little bit too early because the more information's come out, I think, is the less compelling the case has been. Mm -hmm. I want to talk a minute about how people are perceiving this process and what might ultimately happen, but I want to do it through a, a quote from uh, Senator Mitt Romney uh, just this past week. Uh, I want to read this to you, and, and Matt, if you'll take it just a moment and, and maybe explain what he means by this and the filters we all have on this process. Uh, Mitt Romney said, it's very natural for people to look at circumstances and see them in a light that is most amenable to their maintaining power and doing things to preserve their power. I, you know, we talked before we got on air here. I think this is a quote that people should laminate, keep with them, think about, and every major political story they see going forward. This is kind of at the heart of our two-party system. You brought up that Nancy Pelosi had one line of rhetoric 20 years ago and a different one now. Well, I'm sure you also know that Lindsey Graham had a different line of rhetoric during the Bill Clinton impeachment than he does now. People change their viewpoint based off of how it affects their party, their position of power, where we are today. You know. 
I think that, sh that quote illuminates the motivations of pretty much everyone involved. There are Republicans like you who said that what he did was unethical. There are Republicans who say what he did was 100% fine, but they're still at pushing back of the process. I would argue part of that is this is really bad for Republicans. You know, if you impeach this president in a process that, as I said, will likely take months, we are then into a presidential election year. It goes to the Senate. The Senate has to vote. All those senators have to take a hard vote in a place where Republicans are already worried about maintaining control of the Senate. Are they going to actually vote to remove the, their party's nominee from office and then say, vote for him again in November? Like, this process puts Republicans in a really bad Matt, spot. I'm not convinced that the Senate has to vote. I mean, uh, President Obama nominated Merrick Garland for the Supreme Court, and, and Mitch McConnell said, we're not going to take that up. I think, I think that's what he'll do when this, when this impeachment There'll be a vote to take it up, and that's yeah. still a vote. Yeah. Okay, but I don't think there's going to be a trial in the Senate. There might not be. Think. And and by the way, if you look at Democrats, surveys this week, only 66% of Democrats um, uh, nationally support impeachment. So if that standard were applied, if the Senate was 100% Democrats, it takes 67% to impeach a president. So, uh, you know, and they, they'd have to, and the Senate, of course, is majority Republican. So, you know, you know to, to, to remove him from office, you need two-thirds of the Senate to vote for that. And I, I think we all know that's not going to, that's not very likely to happen. Mm -hmm. So, Mara, well, it hasn't happened historically, right? We have not had the Senate convict uh, anyone. Uh, we'll had a couple opportunities for it, ultimately. But Mara, I'm, I'm kind of curious about this, this discussion on the lens we all put it through. It seems like maybe in the country we are a little more polarized, so the people are happy about what happened this week. You know, we, they're more solidified than before, and the people are upset more solidified than before. I mean, how do we view this process when that is the case and everyone puts it through their own lens? maybe in a more significant way than have You know, more than ever, we're doing that, right? And more than ever, we're just following storylines. And in many ways, you can put two people on a stage and already know how the debate is going to go if we're looking at, at sort of believers and ideologues. And, and Romney's quote said it best in how to judge people and what they're doing and what their motivations are. And one of the things that I think the American public can do that we are frankly not doing at all is holding people accountable for the rhetoric they're selling to us. So if if our representative is sticking mostly with the politic of it, then then hold them accountable for that and ask them to to be measured and looking at it. If you're taking a partisan point of view, of which both sides of this very much are, and it's hard not to with Trump. Trump is a polarizing figure. Trump has broken the rules of decorum that we have held for years, which you either love or hate, right? Um, but, but he is polarizing. And what's intriguing about this impeachment is that we do have the words of the president. It's, it's not circumstantial. And again, those should be judged on either side. But I think until the American public, I mean, one of the things that, that I'm watching and I'm asking us collectively to do is that we're on day four. And I feel like already we're down to definitions of conjunctions and how tall was the glass and we're losing track and, and we're losing track of the why and and we are losing track of how to hold our uh, accountable um, our, our elected officials and so I would say it feels like a small change to say no insist that it goes on I'm gonna give context to it in that we're in the middle of an impeachment and and I'm hearing wall-to-wall -wall coverage, and I watch, you know, the wonkiest, most boring shows ever, so shame on me, because that's what I'm watching. But I will just say in that, on Monday, our, our budget, a fiscal, or our national or federal budget expires, and we're operating on a stopgap through November, 
That's a big stinking deal. And so don't let the minutia of the impeachment hold our attention to the point where we don't also expect the people who govern to walk and chew gum. I mean, the consistent criticism of the federal government is they, they can't walk and chew gum. And my biggest concern is we're going to get into the minutia of impeachment, and that's going to give this next round of Senate and House members an excuse to not do their jobs. So you say we need to ask the why. The why is because of Hunter Biden and Joe Biden, and I think what's being that's overlooked partisan. is I that, appreciate that this, Senator, this is probably going to hurt ranking. Joe Biden more than it's going to that's hurt the politic Donald Trump. Of it. And I do think you're absolutely correct in identifying that that in the politic of it, reception is reality. Perception is reality. Exactly what you said, Jason. And I'm not sure there's an appetite yet for impeachment. And I'm not sure in my my system of politicking is impeachment gives Trump momentum that he will mm -hmm. never have going into the election. And if I were running the Democratic caucus, I would not tell them to do this from a political point of okay, view. Well, let's hear it from both sides, because I want to hear what that, the ramifications are, because that's just so insightful where that leads. So take all this as being true, these things we're talking about. Uh, when you talk about the Republican side, is there risk for the for the oh, Republicans? Absolutely. Uh, what is it? Absolutely. And, and we, because I think all it's going to take for maybe an impeachment to actually result in a removal from office is one White House staffer to come in and say, absolutely, I I was told to hold that money until uh, until Joe Biden until they agreed to investigate Joe and Hunter Biden. So I think that there is another shoe that could drop. Of course, none of us know. But but if you go ba solely off the transcript and the whistleblower report that's been made public, there's not enough there. So it's going to take it's going to have to take somebody coming before Congress and saying yes, I was instructed that there, there was a quid pro quo. Okay, so so the risk is the unknown right yeah, now yeah. Is in, in your mind for yeah, the Republicans. Yeah. How about for the, the Democratic side? What you're seeing, Matt? Well, I mean, I think as Mara pointed out, there are some people in the Democratic Party who are concerned that this gives makes Trump in some ways a sympathetic figure. If people buy into the idea that this is a witch hunt or something that was predetermined by liberal members who have been trying to get him impeached forever. If that storyline sticks, then they can look um, like they're going after this for just this purely political reason. It actually could give Donald Trump momentum. I think it's hard to predict. And this doesn't happen that often. The scenarios of this president are different than others. He is, as we already talked about, a very polarizing figure. I have a hard time believing that this changes your view of whether you vote or don't vote for Donald Trump, but the margins in 2020 are going to be so narrow. But when I don't you talk know about changing views, the, the polls show that the majority of independent voters do not want impeachment. And, and, and let's be frank, it's the independent voters that decide who the president is. It's not, it's not the hardcore Republicans or Democrats. And so I think the Democrats need to watch those polls on the independents. The polls show also that they don't like Trump. I mean, this is such an interesting factor of, of moderate America and conservative America, in which we, for the first time that I can recall, bifurcated our personal opinions about them, our judgments on their character with with what we want from the person's policies in office. And and so what I love about voters is they're not linear. And so polling is a matter of point of view. And, and that bifurcation started under Clinton when, when when the Democrats told America, don't don't worry about his character, look at what he's doing as a president. And and now the Republicans are saying that, I guess, about about Trump, which is it's kind of sad on both ends. So Senator, do you think people understand these standards for impeachment? I mean you start talking no, about No. So absolutely not. So okay. So yeah, but but I think you know they got educated during Clinton, and they're going to get educated again. So I actually think the standards for impeachment are, is an interesting conversation. Standard. Yeah, we it will mirror a criminal proceeding. Right. It is not a criminal standard. 
This is politics. Mm -hmm. The reasons you can impeach are treason, bribery, high crimes and misdemeanors. What are high crimes and misdemeanors? Whatever Congress says they That's are. That's correct. Right. And so when you say it's unethical, right? Mm -hmm. th that might not reach that level for you, but apparently it does for Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Uh, actually, not Hillary Clinton, Nancy Pelosi. Well, Hillary, it did for Hillary as well. So. But apparently it does for Nancy Pelosi, who called for this right. impeachment inquiry. That unethical behavior was a high crime and misdemeanor in her eyes, or at least is at this point. Okay. Look at, I mean, John Swallow locally clearly did some unethical stuff as attorney general. He went to trial, criminal trial, and was 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 found not guilty. And so we know that their criminal standard and an ethical standard are different. And 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 Matt's absolutely right. This is a political standard, and each Congress gets to decide whether that threshold's been met. Can I just say real fast about back to this quote? What one of the things I also found interesting about this quote is the man who said it. Mitt Romney is the most interesting United States Senator right now that there is. He's the first Republican to come out and criticize the president on this. He does it unequivocally. He does not say, but I don't think impeachment process should go forward. He's not saying that. He has no opinion. He says, I'm not giving Nancy Pelosi advice. So he's not letting Republicans off the hook on that. And he says he's deeply troubled, so it's not like he's gone all the way for it too. He's in this weird middle ground where he's going to be asked about this every single moment he's in public for now till the end of this process because of his prominence and because of the unique position he holds and because he is not jumping to one extreme on an issue that people, a lot of people are already jumping to one extreme. He, come on on this he's the second most prominent Republican in the country and so his opinion is going to matter. I agree with Matt all the way through. Okay. Uh, Another issue that is just as political. I want to talk about the Salt Lake City mayor's race. Uh, Mara, I know you've been involved in, in lots of these sorts of discussions with candidates and the issues themselves, but this particular race took a little bit of a negative tone over this last week, where apart from the issues themselves, this became uh, about religion to some extent with Rocky Anderson. Explain what happened there and what this could mean for this race. So in brief, Rocky Anderson, former mayor of Salt Lake City, posted on his Facebook page a very, as one would suspect, uh, direct an indictment of the role of Luz Escamilla being a Mormon and what would that mean um, in his opinion clearly it was a negative and and some issues of control and where decisions would be made uh, the other players involved to Erin Mendenhall's credit she uh, uh, quite quickly after posted on Luz's page and said not my thing I'm not making we had a, a columnist in, uh, write a column in direct response to Rocky saying that was uncalled for you're a bigot that that was horrible. Rocky, of course, as Rocky does, doubles down on his position and sort of starts to articulate it. So now it has become an issue. And, and the question is, mm -hmm. is it an issue? Should it be an issue? Is it an appropriate dialogue? And, and as one thinks about it, I, I have to be candid and say, I what I want to say is this correct version of, oh, no, it's not, and people will be independent. But it, but if I want to be direct about it, um, religion is an issue in, in Utah. And when I say issue, I don't mean to make it a pejorative, but particularly in Salt Lake City, um, one could argue that either, you know, Ted Wilson or Jake Garn was the last active Mormon. And and um, I'm speaking culturally, I should also say. When right, I speak right, of, of the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I am not speaking to, to the doctrine. I am speaking to sort of how we all relate to um, a, a major player in our community. And and I do suspect, and I have heard informally, that, that it is a factor in it. 
Is it an appropriate factor to discuss? I think most of us would say no. And certainly the tool that Rocky used was a was a jagged, dull tool with without much sophistication about it. I think Rocky's attack on Luz will actually help her. I think the backlash has been so severe. If you replace the word Mormon with what he said with Muslim or Jew, uh, it would have been an international uh, incident. I would um, tell you, ironically, I would say that's the politically correct statement to yeah. say. But I will tell you as a Salt Laker, Mm-hmm. As someone who lives here, and as someone who, who, and I'm speaking of the Republicans who live here, I'm speaking of the independents. Salt Lake, I'm not defining on the liberal conservative spectrum. I'm defining as the place that Salt Lake plays in our Utah conversation. And this investment in having a, an outsider, an investment in having someone who will speak truth to power. Now, the question is, as an active Mormon, can you do that? And I think Luz has adequately and deftly said, of course I can. So I should I should speak to her position if she's articulated that she absolutely can be independent and she did a remarkable job making a case that she can be who, who Salt Lake wants, which is somewhat, uh, you know, a rebel and that her religion doesn't play. And she did that well. And I thought Aaron Mendenhall, both of the candidates in this race, the women in this race, should be applauded for taking the high road um, and for staying focused on the subject. You know, we have two excellent candidates who I have not seen at all attack each other. And of course, Robbie, who, uh, I'm sorry, Mayor uh-huh. Rocky Anderson, former mayor, wants all the attention. He's kind of the Donald Trump of the left and has to jump in the pool and, and try to steal all the attention for himself. But I, I, I think we have two high quality candidates and, and you're not gonna see them attack each other, so. I would say that issues of religion, um, they're obviously really tense in places like Salt Lake City, but that are part of our politics at every level. We know the um, religious makeup of the presidential nominees. We know the religious makeup of our governor and our congressional delegation. Who you are um, as a person matters in our politics today, and religion is a significant part of that. So I'm not surprised that that is raised. But when it becomes an attack without a lot of backup, then it's like, what are we talking about? If, when Rocky Anderson made that claim, he listed three issues in which Luz did something that was just carrying water for the church, then it'd be like, well, okay, we should talk about it. Mm-hmm. But he didn't. And when her response, she listed the times where she's actually had a different opinion than her church. She backed it up. Uh, so I think for this to actually become a significant issue going forward, there would have to be some new information that we don't have today. Otherwise, it's a characteristic among many of the characteristics that are gonna come out about both of these candidates. Mm -hmm. Because they don't have a significant difference on major policy issues, they're, they're just kind of slightly different variations, but they're roughly moving in the same direction. It is about who they are as people. It's about how they approach their job and their lives. It is That's what this race is gonna be focused on. But, but a big variation is the West Side. Luz lives on the West Side. She's campaigns on the West Side. If she can get the West Side to come out and vote, that's, I think, her path to victory. Uh-huh. Okay, let's get uh, into an issue that impacts you as a legislator for a moment, too. Uh, we're already talking about initiatives, and this is as you as a legislator are still working on the last initiatives yeah. uh, that were passed and that you had a chance. Uh, there's an effort already out there from some to put forward, and the, the name is called the Utah Initiative Protection Act, mm-hmm. which uh, there's an effort right now to maybe move this forward. They'll put a moratorium on changes uh, 
uh, by the legislature. Talk about that a little bit and how it's being, how, how you and your so colleagues are looking at it. The power of the people to, to, initiate, uh, to, to run referendums and initiatives is equal to the power of the legislature to pass bills. I cannot pass a bill that will bind a future legislature. What that initiative is trying to do is to pass an initiative that would bind a future legislature. And for that reason, I don't think it'll work. One thing that I think makes it an interesting conversation, I actually agree with that point of view of that having a, a, an initiative that legislators can't touch doesn't really work, especially when, when initiatives are going to be about big areas of law. And as we've seen, medical marijuana, whether the legislature went back in or not, is going to be an area of constant refinement going forward. It'd be really hard if we had to wait for an election every single time there needed to be a tweak. But the problem is it isn't an equal playing field. The legislature can meet whenever the governor calls them into special session. Or whenever they call themselves into special session. Or now when, if there's an emergency, yeah. whatever that ends up being, <laughs> we know what Trump right. calls them and they call themselves into special session, or every January, elections are harder. Yeah. The process is so much more difficult. If you put millions of dollars into an initiative, if you get all the signatures, if you actually get the votes, and then the legislature a week later says, nope, that doesn't feel fair, and that's what this is responding to. So, Mara, is there a middle ground on this? You've written an initiative successfully on Medicaid expansion. Uh, uh, as you as you as you think about this idea, does this resolve that issue, or as, as written? Saying, I mean, I'll, I'll agree with the gentleman that as written, it sort of isn't implementable. I mean, it goes against the basis of that uh, that each body that's brought together gets to make. But we have a lot of instances in which intent was codified and uh, parameters around what one could do with funding. I mean, we do multi-year multi, multi -year funding from an intent point of view. So I do think it is worth the debate and the discussion of a rewrite that says, how can you give a protection? Again, perhaps not um, that the legislature could never edit. But the editing that's going on right now is is entitled and is rather flippant often. I, I, is my is my feeling about this, and there's lots of discussions at the legislature about how uh, how laborious and and detailed their processes and how sort of flaky and small the public process is, which which is is not true. Um, and so I think codifying intent of the respect of the people's direct will and exercising that and what would be appropriate. Now, absolutely, as written, it's, it's not implemented. But the problem with what you're saying, Mara, is, as I've already explained, those are equal powers under our state constitution. What you're saying is, but this one should be, the initiative should be a little bit better. I cannot run a bill and say, nobody can uh, mess with my bill for a year or two. And Senator in fact, only, only half the states in this country have initiative process, and in all of the states that do, except for two, uh, the legislatures can do exactly what so, Utah does. So I appreciate you explaining that to me. I will tell you that this, this states that have it is because the Constitution requires mm -hmm. it. Like if the ours. Constitution didn't require it, we would not have one. Mm. And I'm asking for a level playing field because the Constitution has afforded it to the people, but the attitude of the legislature has not afforded that. You want that one to be a little not, bit better. I do not, sir. I would like the legislature to have yeah. some parameters around respect. This is going to have to be the end of it. Uh, clearly, we're going to talk about this more. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for your insights today. It's just so interesting. I appreciate this. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode of The Hinkley Report. If you like listening to the experts talking about the issues, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast app.